operator syndrome. We're back here. Uh, we're back uh, talking uh, about Steve's experience. Um, we've we've been leading up to really, I think, these next few episodes, um, talking about one of the big stressful events that Steve experienced um, in his time as a, as a chaplain. And so, uh, we'll go ahead and kick that off, Steve. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to throw out a few disclaimers, um, because, uh, the, the event that I'm going to be talking about, um, we mentioned, we kind of prefaced it the very end of the last podcast that if you wanted to like Wikipedia, this, I mean, it's, it's got a whole page on Wikipedia. Um, I'm going to be talking about an event called extortion 17. It was the largest mass casualty in operation enduring freedom and in naval special warfare history and uh with anything like that there's there's gonna come speculation uh you know i i think when people are hurt that bad you're reaching out for stuff and i i don't want to get into any kind of competing narratives i just want to say exactly how i saw it at the time and um the bottom line is we, we lost a lot of people and one in one helicopter crash so um yeah so we don't i don't want to entertain any kind of competing narratives or anything like that i don't know all i know is the plane went down and a lot of people were hurt and the families and so i want to focus on the like herculean efforts that were made to support these families that are suffering beyond you know really be beyond comprehension and and it's 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 bad when one person dies. I mean, it's it's a, it's it's phenomenally bad. It's it's like indescribable. When you have that many people die all together, and it's all intertwined. These families know each other. They have barbecues together. Their kids go to school together. It 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 hurts like on a level that's just kind of uncanny. So that's my disclaimer. Um, I'm just going to stick with you know what I did. Um, so what, what happened, um, as I said, it was the largest mass casualty in, in operation, um, enduring freedom, what basically happened. And then I'm going to walk through my narrative of me getting to the command and how it all played out. Uh, a, a Chinook carrying 38 people, uh, was shot down in Wardak province, uh, Afghanistan. They were a part of a quick reaction force. Um, it was uh, our national mission unit, Naval Special Warfare Development Group, Dev Group for short. Uh, it was a troop from that that command. Um, there were seventeen SEALs on board. There were two pararescue Air Force pararescue men on board, uh, embedded with that unit. There was one combat controller, CCT Air Force. There were there was one pilot, two crewmen. Uh, seven ANS force personnel, that's Afghan National Security Force people on board, and one interpreter. So those are all of the guys who were killed it, it, almost instantly. From what we could tell, it it didn't last long at all. It went it went down and went up in, in an inferno. Um, so that's what happened. Um, what what was going on was um. A JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command unit of Rangers, 
75th Ranger Regiment had flushed out. They were they were approaching a target, and they had flushed out a high value target that you know squirted and and with with a few other people with him, um, and they requested a quick reaction force because they they had to focus on their objective, and so they scrambled this group from from Dev Group um, to pursue this individual. Um, the accounts that I got from people at the command at the time, um, cause I was curious, like everybody else, like what happened? Like, that's the first thing you ask is what happened? Like it was, it was not, we're <laughs> not good conditions. It was what we, we call a high loom night, which means you can see more than we would like because the ball's always in our court as special operators. Cause we've got night vision gear and we've got really high tech platforms um, to where we we would like it to be hard to see at night. Well, this was like full moon, full stars, and it, it was one of those deals. So that doesn't help matters anyway. Um, they got shot down, um, and it was the uh, incredible, uh, credible loss. Um, one thing I wanted to do before I get into how the part I played in all, all of this, which is kind of a minor part. Um, one of the most hurtful experiences I've ever been through in my life. Um, so it's going to be a little personal. I may have a moment because I was, you know, alongside these families, these children, these parents, these grandparents, all of the people. I, mean, I was there to, to provide them spiritual comfort as a chaplain. And uh, it, it was worse than anything I faced, like as a, fight, a war fighter or going, I, I, I've always told people, I would, I would go behind enemy lines any day and get shot at rather than have to knock on a door in my dress blues and deliver the news that, you know, your, your, your spouse has been killed in combat. So I may have a moment where I just got to take a deep breath. Uh, and it's the way it is. It, it hurt us all. And it hurt me especially. I mean, and I, I say that, I kind of feel guilty saying that. It's like, I didn't lose anybody personally. I, I knew some of these guys, but, you know, I'm not the widow or the children or the parents of these folks. God, they, they're the ones that, I think that's what made it so hard because you, you just feel so helpless to try to help them. Mm. I mean, there, there's no consolation when somebody gets killed and heroes. I mean, these guys, <laughs> these guys were... Um, I wanted to read their names. I thought that might be a good thing before I get into it because kind of dedicating it to them. And I told their families that I, we mentioned this a while back when Patrick was talking about losing brothers in the Rangers. Um, there's something healing about telling their stories, um, remembering them. It, you, nobody wants to be forgotten. And I told the family, every family I ministered to, and there were many, I said, I will never stop telling their story, and I will never stop telling what great heroes these, these guys were, and, and I'm in it. So I thought I would read their names. Uh, I was just listening to a podcast. It was the Sean Ryan show where DJ Shipley, he was, he was there at the command when I was. I, of course, I'm in the capacity of a chaplain. He had just gotten through green team and was an assaulter assigned to an assault squadron. And um, he said, these are his words, these are DJ's words. About this group that got shot down, it was a troop. I'm not going to get into specifics because I really shouldn't, uh, and I won't. Um, th these are these are SEAL operators. He said he said 
There was not a more capable fighting force on the fucking earth than these guys. I mean, they were good, really, really good. And that, and I got that from everybody I talked to who fellow operators um, who were there and knew these guys. And they just could, they just went on and on about how, how capable they were. I think, I, I don't know. That's probably why it, it's so hard because it's like, there is no, you know, they, they weren't even on the ground to do their thing. And then boom, it, it's over. It mm -hmm. happens. It's part of warfare, but it's like, there's something about that that just really pisses you off. Mm -hmm. um, this I'm I'm reading from a program. This was this is a, an unclassified document that was handed out at Virginia Beach at the memorial for all these guys. It was huge. There were people. There were senators there. The president wasn't there for this one, but he was there on a couple of occasions. It was President Obama at the time. Um, uh, president Biden came, or Vice President Biden at the time came. But anyway. Um, I want to read these guys' names just to, just in their honor. Um, so these are the guys killed from the command I was serving at. That's not the air crew and the others, but these are the people I ministered to, so I got to know their families. Lieutenant Commander Jonas Benton Kelsaw, Master Chief Petty Officer Louis James Langless, Senior Chief Petty Officer Thomas Arthur Ratsliff, Senior Chief Petty Officer Robert James Reeves. Senior Chief Petty Officer Heath Michael Robinson. Senior Chief Petty Officer EOD Craig Michael Caliolani Vickers. Chief Petty Officer Derek Carlisle Benson. Chief Petty Officer Brian Robert Bill. Chief Petty Officer Christopher George Campbell. Chief Petty Officer John Weston Foss. Chief Petty Officer Kevin Arthur Houston. Chief Petty Officer Matthew David Mason. Chief Petty Officer Stephen Matthew Mills. Chief Petty Officer EOD Nicholas Heath Knoll. Chief Petty Officer John Thomas Tummelson. Chief Petty Officer Aaron Carson Vaughn. Chief Petty Officer Jason Ray Workman. Information Systems Technician Jared William Day. Master at Arms Dog Handler John Dwangdara. And Cryptologic Technician Petty Officer First Class Michael Joseph Strange. A lot of guys. A lot of guys. Um, so I'll um <clears throat> I, I can't agree more. It's important to I think even just saying their name like that. I, I think it means I think it means a lot. I think it helps us who are still here and we like to think it, it reaches out to them wherever they are now. Um you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started. Um with regard to the air crew and, and the incident in general, if you're interested, um, we nerd out a little bit on books. We're both yeah. readers. I, to school myself up a little bit, I, I happen to read this book here, uh, The Final Mission of Extortion 17 by Ed Derrick. Um, this is published by the Smithsonian. Um, this guy is, he writes for the, the Naval Institute Press, Foreign Policy. So th this is not 
this is a guy who who who's gonna shoot it straight um but the the perspective of the book is is about the incident in general um but it speaks a lot to the air crew so you know for for the the, the army buddies who were army folks who were um who were killed in that event as well uh, yeah. if you're interested in their stories um check out the book um I think it's worth a read. It, it was, it's a quick read, uh, but it's done pretty well, and it helps honor them. You know, one thing about the SEAL teams, you know, the Range Road, the Special Operations, we, one thing we do very well is we honor those that pass. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that, that uh, you know, conventional Army or, or Reserve and National Guard don't do that, um, but uh, I think this book was great because it helps tell their story. So... Yeah. Um, so I guess let's get into it. Um, I think the thing that sticks out the most about the timing of this event is how it coincided with your onboarding. So, yeah, yeah. can't make it up. So, um, if you've listened, if you have listened to previous episodes where I was talking about my time in the chaplain corps, I was working for the chief of Navy chaplains at this time. It was 2011, and I was requested as an augmentee to support the command chaplain at Dev Group. He was overworked, and they 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 probably needed five chaplains, much less one or I was the second to help him. Um place is just so intense and there's just so much op-tempo going on there and people are hurting families are hurting you know that that's across the whole oh that there was the whole GWAT <laughs> taxed us out as far as war fighters and, and everybody really so i went there i volunteered i said yeah i'll go well, i was selected there is, is a selection process of sorts and um so i reported on board on August 1st of 2011, it was a Monday. Um, and I met the command chaplain, great guy. We really hit it off. Uh, and he took, he, he kind of took me through the ropes. Um, the check-in process takes a couple days because you got to go to supply. You got to go to all these departments. I, I didn't even have a phone yet. I mean, okay. So at this, at this particular command, it, it's one of the uh, national mission units, um, on the Navy side. So uh, everything had to be secured. Um, even the phones were secure that you had encrypted phones that you were issued from the tech people there at the command. I didn't even have a phone yet. Um, but we're, we're going around checking in all this. So, so I check in on Monday. So just, just like backing up the helicopter was shot down on Friday, Virginia beach time. It was actually Saturday in Afghanistan on the 6th, uh, August 6th. I checked in on August 1. To make things even crazier, uh, the command chaplain had needed a break. He needed some R&R. He had just been working, and he really did. He just, great guy. He just gave his heart and soul into doing his duties as a chaplain. He really cared about the troops and everybody. and he said, hey, Steve, looks like you're hitting it off. I was hitting it off because several of the people I had worked with, I had gone through Bud's training with a couple, two or three of them. And so it was kind of like I, I had found my stride. Like I really liked being there. And 
and and go and i was getting ready to go down range uh to to be with the guys in the field um so i'm checking in doing my thing going out for runs trying to stay in shape uh fit into my khakis and um so the command chaplain said well i i need some i need a break my wife and i just need some time to get away and i said absolutely man i got it i'll go to the brief uh you know, they, they have department head meetings and um, I had to report as the department head representative for the chaplain, the command chaplain. And this is a big level place. Like it's, uh, you know, a lot going on there. I'll just put it that way. So I said, yeah, absolutely. So he went to Florida with his wife just to get away. And I, he said, man, you're good to go. You got my cell phone number. Just I'll keep you in the loop. Um, but hey, easy day you know, cruise, cruise along. And yeah. So I was like, just enjoy, I I've got it. I'll, I'll you know, don't have a worry. If, if I have a question, I'll, I'll talk to you or I'll, I'll text you or ask what to do. Um, and he took me the day before he left, he left like Wednesday morning, Tuesday, he took me to this memorial wall. Um, it's a black granite wall with all of the names of dev group operators who'd been killed in combat. And he told me, man, he goes, man, there was a rough day when one of the operators was killed. He actually, there was a, there's a book about him. His name is Adam Brown. He, he was an operator and he was killed um, tragically as all, as all KIAs are. Uh, and um, he said, man, that was the worst day of my life. I hope you never have to experience anything like that this one this one guy and i was like jesus i hope i don't either i mean that's god i, I don't know what to even do no who you can't really that's one of the problems with such loss any any loss but especially large-scale loss is you feel so helpless i mean you're there to help but there's nothing like just draining the life out of you when something like this happens so i was like well lord willing that won't ever happen again Okay, so he goes to Florida, and he was going to come back like on Sunday, I think, <clears throat> with with his wife. Well, so Friday afternoon, everybody left the command early. Usually on a Friday, if if you're not doing a training scenario, people just cut out at lunchtime, go home, have a great weekend. It, there's enough work, <laughs> so everybody just kind of cuts out. So everybody was already home. I was staying on the base. So most of these guys who were at the command were out in Virginia beach somewhere living in a normal neighborhood or, or whatever. Um, but I was staying in the Navy lodge right there adjacent. I mean, right there by the gate of, of this command. And, and so I was going to go, I remember this like, a, it's like nine 11. You, you remember exactly everything because when the world comes crashing down, it's just everything just seems so, I don't know, I don't know, just right in your face. Mm -hmm. So I was going to go for a run and grill a steak on the beach. Going to go for a run on the beach, grill a steak, have a glass of wine, and just have a nice chill evening, watch a movie. So I'm in my room. I hadn't even gone on the run yet. And um, the phone lights up. This is in, in the evening. This is, I don't know, 5, 6, something like that, in the p.m., and it's it's Chapman Bradshaw, and he said, um, 
uh, you better get the command. Um, there's a recall going down. And I didn't have my phone yet. So I didn't have my official phone. So I had an unsecured cell phone, just a regular cell phone. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm there. Um, and he goes, ah, maybe just a, a recall uh, or they do this just to make sure everybody's ready to roll from time to time. He goes, but just, uh, just stay in touch, check in with ops and see what's up. So, yep. And I'm, I mean, civilian clothes, I mean, everybody's in civilian clothes around there. Cause you know, mostly it's just operating gear, whatever. So I go rolling in there and I'm, because I'm right there at the gate, I, I'm the whole command gets recalled immediately. Like everybody that's not deployed downrange is, is coming back like fast uh but because i was right outside the gate i was the first person back to the command um everybody else is zooming in from out in town and um i walked in i swiped into the talk and uh i was like man it it was weird everybody was just like like they'd seen a ghost and i i, I looked over and nobody was saying anything it was just Dude, I looked at um, the executive officer, no, the ops officer, and he came walking, he came walking right toward me. I was like, I just said, sir, like that, sir. And he goes, not good. And I was like, well, okay. I, d I don't want to, everybody's on eggshells because it's like, you you don't know what to do in a situation like that. So I walked into the actual control center where I could see what was going on visually with screens and predator feeds and stuff like that. And I just stood by these two assaulters. Um, yeah, I think they were Intel guy. I don't know. And we were seeing all I saw this huge inferno. Oh, it's the Chinook burning like very, very hot. And there, I could see people moving around, and I heard one of them say, "Yeah, that's those are the Rangers securing the crash site." And the, the I, it, then I was just like, "I know, you know, there's no way seeing something like that. There's no way anybody survived on that." And I knew I had the basic picture that this was this was going to be bad. It was like Operation Red Wings in Afghanistan years before, which was the second largest <laughs> mass casualty in Afghanistan. So at that moment, it was just like time stood still. Um, time stood still. And um, yeah, I guess <clears throat> I I didn't... So the chaplain who was in Florida, the command chaplain, he texts, he's texting me the whole time. Well, back up. I, I couldn't take a phone into the place where I was sure. standing. At the time. Sure. So um, I, I came back out outside, got back out where I could get a cell reception. And um, he, he's blowing up my phone. What's, what's going on? What's going on? You know, keep me posted. I did not have a secured phone. So all I could say is, and he was one rank above me. I, I was like, sir, I, I would get back here as soon as possible. Like a as soon as flight, you could get out of there and get back here. Well, it really felt for him because he was like, 
and 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 it was like one of those things where I can't I can't get into details, but I said just watch watch the news and get back here as fast as you can. All right, that was all I could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is Friday evening because we we the command wanted to beat the press. We're, we're getting ready to go notify almost 20 families right uh what's called a keiko call casualty assistance calls officer where you go in your dress blues and you knock on the door and you give them the news that their loved one has passed so so i the word was put out really quickly um get your dress blues ready oh five thirty we're rolling out we're gonna do do the deed part of that was in and in, in a um and i think i briefly mentioned this in a past episode when when somebody's been killed in action you you want to be you want the official story to be the first one that gets to the family the next of kin you don't want a bunch of conjecture and rumors to get started and living you know and this was 2011 but still social media and you know, it was lightning fast, you know, it's going to get out quick, what happened. So it was like, we had, you know, we had, well, overnight, you know, we had overnight to get ready. I mean, nobody's sleeping. We're all just in pure anguish. So getting uniforms ready, getting ready to roll. Now, here's the, usually you'd send a chaplain with every Keiko team, right? Mm-hmm. The, the problem there was you had you had to have a top secret SCI clearance just to get in the command. So other than the command chaplain, and there was one other with a with a top secret clearance, and he was a chaplain at group two. He was serving at, at the regular SEAL teams nearby, but he, he had a security clearance. And he was a real help too. Um, and he came over, and uh, the command chaplain never made it for the Keiko teams. Well, you'd want to send a chaplain on every Keiko team, if possible. But the problem was we couldn't get the enough chaplains with security. Most chaplains don't have a they don't even have a secret clearance, much less a top secret clearance. So it was just a crazy, you know. So they were like, "Well, who?" What chaplains are going to go? We only have two. It was me and this other guy. And the command chaplain didn't make it back in time because it was so fast. It just happened instantly. And uh, so they said, well, Watkins, you're going with what we think is going to be the most vulnerable person because she's six months pregnant with three young children. And her husband was going to retire in a few months and they were going to go back to Hawaii mm. and get their dream house that they'd always wanted. Mm. So there's that. So that's, so they said, you're, go, you're going with that team. And they were people of faith. They were, they were Christian believers. And it, we, we also had a medical doctor on our Keiko team with, with a whole bag. Like we had to rehearse, like, what if she, She's six months pregnant. Like when we give her the, I mean, the moment you knock on the door and she sees people in dress blues, if she collapsed, we rehearsed how we were going to catch her 
to try to not, you know, do any damage, especially to the baby. Mm-hmm. If she, if her, you like knees going weak, it's a real thing. It yeah. really, really happens. It, you know, like anyway, so we rehearsed, we rehearsed, and then the I think the eeriest part was like the sun hadn't come up yet that early in the morning. Darkness is just, I just I hate it in some ways because it's just like there's certain things I don't want to happen when it's dark, right? Mm-hmm. Um, daylight at least provides some sort of comfort but anyway the sun and we had to coordinate these because you know all these moms are connected in social media they're going to be texting in five seconds once so we had we had a knock on the door at 05 30 like on the countdown because we knew word was going to spread so fast and it was i'll tell you and that's another thing dev group i couldn't believe the support they provided and the coordination they they provided it was like it was it was amazing i don't know how they pull it all off but mm-hmm. when they do something they do it right um i mean it it sounds like i think it sounds like everyone was thinking through mm-hmm. the the smallest detail the smallest detail the smallest detail and and alongside of that all of the guys were rolling into the command all the salters and their wives were with them and they were going out and i mean getting coffee buying food getting ready to pick up kids take them to school i mean the the scope of the thing was really Mm -hmm. crazy but it was like there was only one thing on everybody's mind that's how do we comfort these families We'll sort out the other stuff later if there's anything to sort out. But what we know now is the mission at hand is to help these folks just survive this damn thing. And it had, it was such a surreal sort of uh, mood around the command. Nobody, obviously everybody was just walking around, like look, look like you're so confused. Like nobody knew how to act because Mm -hmm. you don't want to laugh. Mm-hmm. who's going to do that you, you do you kind of there's an insecure part of you that wants to kind of crack a joke even in combat like when sh- shit hits the fan right. there's a certain amount of humor that can pull you through it not this not this deal there is no humor at all in the universe right and uh, so there's really no comfort so anyway we show up we all roll out and that i remember going out there there were 20 suburbans one suburban for each keiko team mm-hmm right and keiko teams consisted of the 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 calls officer one or two of the team members or somebody who knew that person directly a chaplain a medical doctor somebody who knew somebody so we had like five i think there were five of us on my five or six i can't can't exactly remember um and two of the guys oh, one of the guys i i felt worse for this guy on on the team i when i knocked on the door of the woman who was six months that, mm. that was shot down and he came home for the birth of his daughter mm. i felt so bad for him man because i mean he i just i don't see how he did it i don't see how he held it together because he he would have been on that bird no doubt he would have been on that bird and one other guy from the troop had a shoulder surgery had to come home for 
that's th- those guys. I'd I'd like to follow up with them. I don't know what ha- I don't know where they are now, but I just felt so bad for those guys. Cause it's almost like, don't you know, Patrick? Wouldn't you? I I would if 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 my team if my platoon if that had happened in a platoon I wasn't a dev group as an operator but my if my platoon went down altogether I I would want to be with them I mean I don't want to die but there's a way in which I want to be with them you know absolutely um, it's I I think a lot of people have been in similar situation <clears throat> not not to that extent obviously but everyone a lot of folks in that line of work it's um it's mixed feelings is what it really is it's it's oh my god my friends are dead and i should have been there i could have been there it could have been me um a part of me is glad that i'm alive yeah Yeah. am i a piece of shit because i'm glad i'm alive right that i got lucky um, and then that turns into the survivor's guilt, which is very real. Yeah, and 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 almost everyone experiences that to some extent. Um, and then the ruminating, the thinking about I, it's a it's a tough spot for everyone to be in, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So there's all that going on. There's a lot. There's a lot going on no doubt there's um, a lot going on so we're we're coming up on time here. yeah, yeah. uh we're we're obviously gonna pick back up right here um and, and and continue to tell the story um you know in that moment i'm assuming you were so focused on um there's a lot of emotion there's a lot of and but for you specifically you know you're kind of in the position where it's sort of expected that you're able to rise above the emotion, I guess, to some extent to, to help, to help guide everyone through that moment. Did you feel, did you feel pressure related to that? Um, or were you just so focused on, 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 on the details on, on the tactical part of it that, that, that you, you weren't dealing with that in that moment? I wasn't worried about the tactical part. Mm. at that moment because the calls officer was going to read i think that was the hardest part when she answered the door at this god-awful hour mm-hmm. he read the official script mm. he had memorized it he didn't read it he had memorized it mm. and he he said you know his spiel it, 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 it's a very formulaic thing mm-hmm. i what what pressured me the most was having to deal as a spiritual counselor in a time which just makes absolutely no sense. Right. I, I'm going to be looked at to not, not in a sense, people are looking for a pastor to give answers when there right. are no answers. Right. There's no freaking answers. Right. It's just a damn tragedy. And that's the end of it. So, yeah. So yeah, that's where my pressure came from, I guess. When we pick it up next time, I can talk about how that went um, in a in a in a kind of sterile form. I don't mm-hmm. want to give up too much, but I can tell you what happened. And what I can say is, the, this this widow wrote me a a letter, uh, 
a, a year or so after the that horrid event and thanked me so much for being there said god had you there at a time when i desperately needed you and like me i'm like mm -hmm. feeling so freaking helpless but boy for her to uh, have acknowledged that man means a lot so I'll, I'll tell that story well that's where we'll pick it back up so um thanks for sharing that and for anyone listening we'll catch you in the next one bye